Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media, and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories, and we'll be joined by various business people on each episode to discuss the week's news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs, and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting their legal problems out. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. Welcome along to episode 20 of the Business Herald podcast. This week, we're joined by two Marks, which is incredibly bad planning on my part, but here goes. Mark Exley is a director at Gravitas HR in Northampton. After a 20-year career in HR for corporate organizations, he started his own business consultancy in 2006. They focus on all aspects of people management, from basic HR to reward management, employee engagement. He's also a keen athletics coach and uh, official. Mark Jennings... Uh, we're going to call him MJ, is a business coach with Action Coach, a global master coach since 2018. He helps business owners to help them build a business that can ultimately run without them. Um, MJ is based in Hinkley. Um, And uh, yeah, thank you both for coming along and joining us on this week's podcast. So the first story I'd like to talk about this week is um, a report or a survey that was done by the Federation of Small Businesses, um, the bastion of um, small business support. Most people, by the way, that uh, that are members of the SF- FSB um, don't appear to rate them too much, but, um, but there you go, that's perhaps another discussion. But the FSB came out and said this week that um, they, uh, as a result of their survey, they think that 250,000 businesses, um, small businesses, that's businesses with under 50 staff, will fail this year, um, obviously as a result of the lockdown and coronavirus and the impact on the recovery uh, and the, on the economy. Um, deeper into that survey, actually, it was about um, confidence, business confidence, and it said that two out of five businesses had lower confidence than they had last year on their survivability. Um, so, Mark Exley, I'm going to come to you to start with. What do you think about that headline? Two hundred and fifty thousand small businesses. That's a lot of small businesses, isn't it? I, I think they're plucking the numbers out of the air, to be honest. But at the same time, um, FSB are very much focused on micro businesses mm. as membership. So I think they've broadened the net there a little bit, which uh, is a bit um, probably a bit strange. Um, but they've done that. Um, I, I think there will be a lot of business failures. Um, I'm seeing a, lot, a lack of confidence in a number of clients, uh, not necessarily about their own business, but about suppliers and clients of theirs. Um, and it largely is going to depend on what impetus is put into the economy by the government. It's one thing paying people not to work. There's another thing paying people to generate work. And I wonder whether there is going to be some impetus payments put in and where certain sectors are going to be targeted to really boost their uh, potential as we come out of lockdown and as we try to get back to some normality. There's already been um, there's already been a huge amount, let's be honest, a huge amount of um, government support for almost all businesses. There's, a, there's a, a big gap of about 3 million people that are excluded, either starting a new businesses or directors or whatever. There's a, there's a big gap of people. But by and large, the government have put in a lot of money already. So are you saying that actually you think that, that the government will need to put more money in 
to keep those businesses going, obviously on a targeted basis. Okay, well, you just hit the nail on the head because those three million small business owners are the very people who run businesses with up to 50 employees. Yeah. So, so that group, uh, being without support, means that individually they are very close to bankruptcy, many of those people. And it's going to be a very difficult thing to come back from. Um, it's very specific when we start talking about small businesses and owner directors, um, but they are the backbone of the economy. And I think that at some stage, the government has got to wake, I, unless they're doing it deliberately, they've got to wake up to the fact that the backbone of the economy has been left without support or with li little support. And if they don't support those people and they start to lose those businesses, they also employ 13 million people. And I think the worst thing that can possibly happen, given, uh, given some kind of recovery, is to end up with four to five million unemployed people in the, in the economy. Mm. Four to five million people without any money who are then not going to be spending money, etc. And it's just the whole way the economy goes in a circular motion. You're taking out a lot of the input there that's going to help the economy recover. It's some, something that I've not, I've not fully got my head around understanding why the government, and, and, and Rishi said this in Parliament, that everybody... Um, everybody ha uh, is is now covered by the support packages, um, and and yet there's still these you know the the hashtag excluded UK um, people that uh, they're going well we weren't I've not been you know I, I I was in the same boat you know I I started my business in January um, pandemic hits I'm not eligible because I had a new business I'm not eligible for any of the grants loans support funding furlough none of that because it just all wasn't set up because I was a new business. Um, so I, I can kind of understand from uh, the, you know, the point of view where those people are coming from. I just don't understand where the government coming from, knowing that there's this, um, this, this gap of, of, of available funding that's not, not been filled. We see headlines like this, 250,000 businesses that are going to fail. And that is likely, like you say, they're the people that are, you know, have been excluded from support by and large. Um, and and why why is the government not doing anything about it? Is it is it just content for those businesses just to you know those business owners to go and become Amazon delivery drivers? Don't they? Yeah, they're not generating any wealth there, are they? And they're certainly not generating any tax either, as we know. So um, <laughs> that's not an answer, is it? Really? Um, uh, pers my personal view on the Rishi Sunak thing is that y you have got a, a man there as a politician who is personally worth about 200 million and his wife's personal worth is about 400 million and his wife's family's personal worth is about 2 billion. How much can he relate to small business owners when he's basically lived his privileged life and never had to want for anything? Mm -hmm. uh, he's almost the worst possible person to be dealing with this. Now, obviously, there are other people advising him. Oh, no, the worst possible person would be Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> he'd, okay. be, he'd be worse but you know you're, he's up there yeah uh, and and i know that's a that's a personal view but he, he, you know he he was very much self-promoting when he was doing all the great things for people and furlough and all the rest of it and there is also a view from government that giving bounce back loans is supporting companies but ultimately there's a massive difference between giving grants on whether it be furlough or self-employed or or, or some kind of director's grant than actually giving someone more debt. Mm. That's what it is, ultimately. Yeah. Many people who've taken 
bounce back loans, have already spent the money because just to survive, and now they're facing paying that back at thousand pounds a month or whatever yeah. um, a year later. So it's um, it's it's a very difficult situation. Yeah, we yeah. certainly talk about um, on on previous episodes the impact of you know someone taking out that bounce back loan, and then this this summer June probably May June time. Um, uh, you know that the reality of having to find somewhere between you know three or four five six seven hundred pounds um, a month to repay it is is probably going to be a, um, a step too far for many businesses um mark Jennings mj what do you think two hundred and fifty thousand small businesses um to fail do you think that um in, in your experience in dealing with you know these kind of small businesses um these you know these business owners do you think that's that's right, um, or is there also uh, you know an equivalent number of businesses that are actually going to grow and succeed out of this? Well, I, the reality check is eighty percent of SMEs, and that's up to two hundred and fifty employees, all fail in the first five years anyway. So even in the good times, that that's the number, and yeah. then eighty percent of the remaining twenty percent fail in the next five years. Fact. So businesses fail, you know, and will continue to fail. I don't know what the gap is between this particular number and what would be the norm, but what we need to be a bit like the, the, the you know, the above average deaths, it's uh, what's, what's going to be the above average business death than what would be normal. So I think we've kind of got to scale it back and calibrate it to compare to what would normally be happening. Mm. Um, and I'll quote Warren Buffett, you know, Warren Buffett, um, when the tide goes out, you can see who's been swimming naked. And, and the old adage there is, is you, can, you can see when times get tough that those businesses that aren't doing the right things right will suffer. And we've had, we've had a massive tsunami that's taken the tide way out and it's exposed an awful lot of businesses that have been surviving just because of circumstances, you know. So I'm, I'm talking to people that have, have never done really any marketing, but are now having to do marketing to survive. So they've never done any. They've just thrived on referrals and word of mouth and repeat business. And that's kind of how their business is run. It's, it's become more, it's more of a job than anything else. Most, most SMEs, you know, the biggest, biggest proportion of SMEs uh, are operating at under a quarter of a million turnover. So they tend to be the less than five employees because they've, they've got to a point where we can do enough. It satisfies us at a job level um, and we're getting enough to pay the bills. So as soon as it gets difficult, they don't know how to react. So what I'm seeing is those businesses that are surviving are the ones that are only are just having to adapt what they do. So it's not about having to learn how to do new marketing. It's just adapting the marketing that they've always done. It's not about having to learn how to, uh, all they're doing is now adapting their strategies rather than smaller business working out, what, well, what is a strategy and why should I need one? So the businesses I'm seeing that are thriving, you know, we've, we've heard it times, I don't just want to survive, I want to thrive, are the ones that can adapt what they've already done. The ones that are struggling are the ones that are having to learn from the get-go. And I think this next quarter, when we, when we talk about funding and support, the problem we've had is we've artificially supported businesses that were due to die anyway. So they've taken the bounce back loan and, and gone and bought fancy cars 
have had more money in their pocket than they've ever they've ever had before. We've given them grants. I, I, I've, I was speaking to a business owner earlier this week. They've had more money in their bank this year. They had a 10K grant. Uh, they've had £4,000 £4, interruption loan, and they took a 40K bounce-back loan. Net profit for their business the prior year was £11,000. They've had more money this last nine months than they've ever had before. Been artificially supported, exactly as Mark said. What's going to happen now in this next quarter, as, as, as the gates open, furlough will stop. So all of a sudden there's a productivity hit and there's a realisation that they've got to have the work to support the, 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 the employees that they've got. The bounce back loans need to start to be being paid. And if they've used them sensibly, they'll have used them and invested in something that's, that's going to pay them some money, not just buy a fancy car, which some have done. Um, they've deferred their VAT payments and their corporation tax, which is all going to be due in the next three or four months. Um, they've got their personal taxes to be paying at the end of January. Um, and potentially the market that was there before they closed won't be there when they reopen. So yeah, I'm expecting a massive, a massive death call. But it'll be those businesses that have either been directly impacted. So I think you know in the um, hospitality sector, yeah, unfortunately, that that's what's happened. Um, and recreation, I've, you know, I've got an interest in a, a leisure business, been shut for for nine months. Um, and unless you've been able to cash flow your way through it, um, then you've got nowhere to go. You've got to just hope that it, there's something there at the other side when it does open. But I think what's happened is that there's been a natural culling of those businesses that would, would have failed anyway, and we've just artificially supported them the last six months. So, so what do those business owners that are in that boat do then, um, MJ? Do they... they just grab a tissue, um, you know, wipe their tears away and go, oh, I'll have to go and get a job? Well, it, it, yeah, there's personal circumstances, isn't it? I've had, you know, what's, what we're starting to see now is uh, a lot more businesses being available for, for purchasing. So a lot of my clients with their bounce back loans are starting to look at businesses that are failing through, not because they're not profitable, but, but through lack of cash flow. Mm. And the owners have had enough. You know, they may, they may have been working down the last couple of two or three years to retirement, uh, and this, you know, the, this crisis has come in the middle of that, and they've just not got the appetite to then suddenly go back and rebuild and 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 recommence and have another three or four years. So, so I, I've I've had a lot of clients that have um, that have taken that opportunity. They've seen those business owners that haven't uh, been performing very well or are fed up, and you know, got to the point of of you know throwing in the towel, and they're buying a business probably cheaper than it it ought to be it deserves to be um and buying it because they've got you know the business owner that's just just fed up um and, and wants out admittedly I'd, I'd say that most of those sellers are probably on the older side you know sort of when they're in the late 50s 60s um rather than you know the young guys that maybe have the appetite and and maybe they're the ones that um you know are gonna um you know throw in the towel but there is also those you know, there's just the standard, um, you know, salt of the earth type businesses that, you know, just just there, as, as Mark actually said, you know, they might only be making 10, 15 grand a year profit. They're not paying a huge amount of tax. Um, and, and I think the, the, the conclusion seems to be the government doesn't really want to support them. 
their business practices, um, you know, are perhaps a bit uh, old school. And so they've not been able to change, adapt or anything like that. And so perhaps that FSB report is um, is is accurate and that 250,000 people are uh, businesses are going to going to fail. Um, and without the government stepping in and supporting them, that they are going to be in a mess, as, as uh, Mark Axel oh, said. I'll counter what you say. For most businesses, certainly the ones that I talk to, deal with, and have an involvement with. So let's take it for example. Straight straight away, there was a ten thousand pound grant given to a lot of small businesses, and that that lasted as long as it lasted. There was the furlough scheme that was there to take off a lot of the expense hit from a lot of businesses when they dried up. They're now in the um, you know, the disruption. So smaller businesses are getting, what, £300 a week, £350 a week since the beginning of November. That's going to roll now through to the end of Feb. And there's now another £4,000 up to £9,000 grant going to be given to small businesses. So in the space of 12 months, uh, potentially business has been given, you know, anything between fourteen and £20,000 um, plus, what, another four. So to say they're not supported... So, but that's the, that that's that's the thing. So that support should they continue to support businesses that are bleeding to death anyway? So that that support, um, uh, most of that support, the grants were is all related to um, properties, um, business rates relief. And so, if right. you've got if you're a small business with a property, um, particularly yeah. ones that you can't use, um, then that's where that funding comes in. The, the people that Mark are talk, uh, Mark X is talking about are the ones that are, are probably micro enterprises. Um, yeah. They're below that. They don't have property. It's just yeah. them in the business. You know, they might have someone else working for them. Um, yeah, and they're the ones that are, they're the ones that are going to struggle. Um, but but maybe they, you know, your your point of view is well, those businesses might just need to cut the cloth then. Um, and and see how it goes. I think the the, the point I would make on that is that um, it's the inequity because the self-employed grants were given to self-employed people, whether they were working or not. So where you've got a self-employed person, perhaps tradesman, for example, who was flat out working, they were also getting potentially two and a half thousand pounds a month of a grant they didn't even need because there was no means testing on it. Um, And they are very similar to potential colleagues of theirs who maybe set a limited company up and then they were getting nothing. So doing exactly the same job. And the only way they could get anything originally was to shut the business down and furlough themselves on possibly a minimal salary. So it wasn't an option. So um, it's that inequity, I think, that that got people. Um, And, you know, people had set new businesses up. Um, people didn't have a, even self-employed people who'd set up, who didn't have a set of accounts to, or a, a self-assessment from previous years. So it was all those kind of issues. So you could potentially have had a person who'd set themselves up, set himself up as self-employed in the January, who previously paid huge amounts of tax and national insurance as employed people, suddenly told they didn't have any, any support. It doesn't seem right at all but that that was just that's just my point of view um the, 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 the reality of it is in order to get funding out quickly 
there was absolutely no way that they could they could then go around and means test every business to determine exactly what state of play they were in, what were they busy, not busy, because they'd, never, they'd still be doing it now. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the fact is that they've um, they've had nine months to look at this situation and there seem to be no further forward in resolving it. I think that's what's been annoying. I mean, you've got people like Martin Lewis, um, John Cordwell, all getting right behind this now, um, quite publicly. And, you know, these, these people have seen it and they've actually got behind the campaign. So they obviously feel it's important. Um, but they can also see the, the damage that's been done um, to individuals. I mean, on, on a wider note, I think one of the areas that needs to be explored by many companies is this concept of innovation. They need to be looking forward to what the likely market is going to be in 12 months or six months, 12 months, two years, and working out how they can actually tailor their business to fulfill that, that demand. And I think a lot of people are sitting there thinking, well, we just need to get back to normal without actually trying to take personal responsibility to seeing how they could actually be in a good position, given whatever the landscape looks like. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's something in that. There's, there's um, If you look at all of the supermarkets and, and bigger retailers, um, it's certainly in the last week, there's been a lot of um, uh, announcements on their profitability and where they're at. And you can see, you know, a marked trend in the ones that have gone online have done really well. Um, and online businesses, you know, their online um, retail offering has, has effectively supported their um, bricks and mortar retail offering. They have um, uh, the owners of, of Primark refusing to go online because it doesn't suit their model. And I can understand that, but saying that it's cost them a billion pounds in sales um, this lockdown. And so, you know, they, they kind of feel the uh, feel the weight of it. But, you know, they're, they're a very rich family, so they can, can probably... Um, deal with that one of the most overused words in the business world in 2019 was the word pivot um and uh, and, and businesses uh, needing to pivot um but i think it's perhaps a bit more fundamental than that and um mj you probably say the same it's it's not just about pivoting it's about doing those essentials the, the necessaries um and, and getting getting all of them right rather than just depending on that you know that one customer or one um source of work you've got to you know open it all up and you've got to maybe for some some businesses for the first time have to do some marketing have to work out where their work's coming from have to change their delivery model um change their service offering or product offering they've, they've got to sit down and reassess everything that they're doing in order to stay viable is that right uh, yeah, absolutely. I would say, and, and just to support, you know, the, old, the Warren Buffett quote, if, if as a business, you did the right things right anyway, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be doing some kind of annual review as to where your business was at and what new products could you be offering and what, what's your staff strategies and all that kind of thing. And be that, you know, a couple of hours exercise or a couple of days or a couple of weeks exercise. As a business, you should be doing that anyway. So, um, it wasn't a radical change. All that happened was people were people that were already used to doing the right things right were just having to do them in a more urgent manner than they were used to. So they just had to adapt. But, and, and the analogy I've used, it's a, it's a bit like um, you, you're already able to drive a car or a number of different cars. Someone's just presented you with a totally different car that you've got to drive and you've got to get used to it. So you adapt. 
there's some people out there don't know how to drive at all. Mm. They were presented with a car and they're now having to learn to drive. And they're the ones that, that struggled because they didn't really have a Scooby-Doo as well, what to do. Yeah, it's a bit like yeah. the... Um... It's a bit like the, the chocolate boxes at Christmas, isn't it? The selection boxes. I have to really try and adapt and learn to have some of those ones that I don't really like, but they're there and I might, I've got to try and adapt and have them. So I do. I take one for the team and I, I try. You're right. It, yeah. what, what, what's happening is people are being forced into having to do the things that most businesses that survive and have longevity do anyway. Yeah. And, and it's not, it's not, you know, it's not the unique domain of big corporates or, 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 you know, big, big turnover businesses. A lot of those principles apply to small businesses. They, they, they should know, you know, do they all know their numbers? Do they know what their marketing spend returns for them? And, you know, I, I was shocked when I first started. I've been doing this 10, 12 years. I was, I was gobsmacked when I was talking to owners who, who didn't know some of the basic fundamentals of their business numbers. Yet they've been in business 20 years. Mm. You know, they couldn't, they couldn't talk about margins and markups and sure. Wow. So so when 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 at a point in time when they need it most and they haven't got it, they're going to struggle. Yeah. I always see the economy as being like uh, it's a yo-yo diet, really. When things are good, people build a lot of fat into their businesses and they get quite lazy or they can get lazy. And they forget some of those basic disciplines. And then when times get difficult, they're then trying to shed costs and take people out and they manage. And in our sense, we see them suddenly turn around to us and say, oh, we need to get rid of this person. They've never been any good anyway. So yeah, we ask yeah. them how long they've been in the business and they say, oh, about six years. Yeah. But in that six years, they've never had a, a financial imperative to cut the costs so they just let it drift on it's, it's it's a difficult conversation and they avoid it yeah and i've always seen the analogy with sport you know most of the most successful sports people have lost more than their competitors but they've kept working at it kept the disciplines going and business is exactly the same you've got to keep working at things you've got to keep doing all the basic stuff and you've got to be relentless with it and that's when you get your reward. And when times are difficult, your foundations are in place. And that's much what I'm sure you do, Mark, is that you're trying to get people to put those disciplines in place and follow them. But I think it's, it, it could boil down to being as simple as that. that. Many business owners don't have a grasp on business. They have a grasp on what they actually do, whether that be... Um, I'm just picking on these randomly, but whether that be doing some plumbing or whether it be painting a house or what, or, or whether it be manufacturing telephones, they understand about that. They don't necessarily understand about business and business finance. Um, and that's a key thing that everybody should learn. A bit like being a salesperson. And back, back to the point you, you, the main, I think Steve made earlier about, you know, should we be supporting them more financially my, my answer to that is, well, unless, unless they change what they do, the, the, the inevitability of their failure is still there because they're not doing the right things. They'll, they'll just drop back into the 80% over five years. What, what we need to be supporting them with is how, how to run this business well. Because if we just artificially prop them up with more cash and they don't really understand why it's, why it's failing, then when the cash stops, the business will stop. 
And I think the you know I've, I've used the there's a very close alignment with the, the way the COVID virus is hitting people, and it's and it's effectively um, getting rid of those people who've got underlying health issues. You know, the sick and the weak, and those with underlying health issues are the ones that it's going to take out. Uh, same with the businesses; they've they've got underlying wealth issues if you want to call it that there's underlying issues in a business that never really surface because the circumstances aren't aren't uh, severe enough to, to to cause them a problem and all that's happening now is it is severe enough to cause them a problem yeah. those were the underlying issues that perhaps couldn't be seen and can't be seen um have now surfaced and they, they they're going to take a hit Excellent stuff. Good discussion. Moving on to um, another subject. So the head of BT came out and said that uh, he thinks working from home is causing mental health issues amongst his uh, staff, um, saying that, uh, you know, staff are fed up, they're fatigued um, and bored of the one dimensional approach that working from home has people need and require human interaction. Rishi Sunak said something similar in terms of once the lockdown's finished, he thinks that everyone will pile back into offices because humans are social creatures by nature. And therefore, um, you know, need to uh, need to be engaged with uh, uh, humans in in face to face contact. Um, Mark, actually, come to you to start with. What do you think? Are people um, are people going to adopt generally working from home, or do you think people will actually want to jump back into the office as soon as they can? I think again, some of the comments that you just quoted are, are sweeping generalisations. Um, I, I believe there are people who want to get back to an office. Um, I'm one of them. I quite like working in an office environment. I've been working in an office environment, but I've been sitting here on my own. So I like that that ability to collaborate. Um, and I'm working with clients at the moment who are members of staff within client companies who have seriously struggled with lockdown. If you're sitting at home as a, a person who lives alone, staring at a screen all day without anyone to talk to other than the occasional Zoom meeting or Teams call, I, I actually think it is very bad for their mental health. And I think what we'll find is something of a halfway house. I think businesses will want their staff to collaborate some of the time, but they will also allow them to work remotely at other times. And that balance will help the mental health of those who struggle to work at home but it will also give that boost of collaboration and more immediate decision-making and critiques that you get from having somebody sitting across the room from you. So I think, I think there's going to be a balance there, but I do feel that, that they're underestimating how much people have probably enjoyed that flexibility of being able to work hard, but when they want to work and from where they want to work. So I think there are a lot of people who will never go back into offices because they are, they've adapted very well to working remotely and their businesses are saving money because they're working remotely as they are from not having to do the travelling. I and certainly fall into that category. <laughs> but, but there's another, the other aspect to it is that people are not going to just suddenly pile into offices because the media, the government and the media has made people so fearful of contact with others that that fear is going to take possibly years for some people to get out of the system. Um, so maybe there are people, we, we know from clients that there are people who simply do not feel safe going into an office. That's not going to change overnight just because the lockdown ends. 
that's going to take some time for that confidence to return. Yeah. MJ, what do you think? Do you think working from home is uh, um, going to be here forever or do people will go back into offices or the hybrid? Well, I, I think what it's done, it's, it's this, the circumstance we find ourselves in, it's, it's accelerated us to a point that we probably found ourselves in anyway. You know, struggling for office space, uh, traffic on the roads, the amount of time you know the amount of time people spend in cars and on trains going to and coming from the workplace um it's broken a lot of paradigms from managers and owners who only believed that people could be managed if they could be seen and clocked in and clocked out you know you, you if you're not here at nine and you and you leave before five you can't possibly be doing a good work because i have to observe you in the workplace so I think it's it's an irreversible change. We're all wired differently. Everybody's wired differently. Some people will absolutely love and thrive working from home, and they will they will build whatever the results that are required from their business to be delivered. They'll they'll work in how how to do that, and whether that means they can get up at eleven o'clock in the morning, take the dog for a walk work for an hour, you know, go home, work in the middle. It's, it's entirely up to them because we're all wired differently. Some will only function if they've got physical contact and they're in and they're in that kind of environment. So I don't, you know, Mark was right. You can't broad, broad brush this mm. um, because I know, I know some people are loving it and some people are hating it. But yeah. the, the reality is, and I've, I've got a client down in London in Fleet Street, um, have 34 people in an office pre-COVID, um, paying around 28,000 a month to, to put bums on the seats. He's been running for the last seven months with eight people. Everyone else has been working from home. He's not having to pay for uh, London waiting. He's not having to subsidise train fares. He's given them laptops away from home and it's business as usual. He's, he's never, he's never going to be renting office space to put another 25 bums back on seats. Hmm. Just from a financial perspective, but it, what it did, it broke his paradigm of it could only be done this way because this is how it's always been done. Yeah, it, it forced yeah. into running the business, and I think you know people, businesses like Marks HR support. I think there'll be a wealth of new, you know, working practice and legislation for people working at home in that way. I, I think there'll be, um, I think there'll be a wave of training programs for how to how to lead at a distance you know how, how can you be a great leader when when your 100, 100 members of your team are all working remotely mm. so yeah. i think it'll it, it'll spring up a whole new course of action without doubt it'll be it'll be very much um adopted though you know though everybody that's been working for home for nine months correct me if i'm wrong mark but we'll have a very good shout now if they say i'd like to continue doing this forever please yeah, yeah um, from a flexible working point of view. Um, flexible working requests used to be kind of, we used to get asked by a client, oh, someone's put a flexible working request in and they used to be really down about, oh, you don't really want them to not be in the office one day a week and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's forced companies into understanding that there is a different way of doing things. Simple as that. So it's exactly what you said. Um, so now there's going to be more of that. But there's also a benefit to the companies if they can downsize from a 3,000 square foot office to a 800 square foot office and only have people in one day a week, then it's going to be advantageous for them as well. 
But it does also depend on how motivated people can be from working from home, because working from home used to have a bad reputation, because for a lot of people, it was just, oh, watch a bit of telly and do the yeah, washing. Yeah. Look things. in the fridge. Yeah, I, think this is, I think this is where we'll move. We'll move from an environment where it's activity and are you here based uh, mm. performance to results based performance. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start to see an increase in uh, productivity apps and, and, and different ways of, of, of how do we keep a check on people's results? Because at the end of the day, why should you be bothered whether they get up late, take the dog for a walk or whatever, if they are delivering the results that you're employing them to deliver? Yeah. And, and drop the fear factor of if I can't see them, they must be getting up to no good. Mm. Yeah, and there's, so there's, there's, there's certain industries which that that um, works really well. I, I know when I was a partner of a law firm, um, I, I was I was an advocate of uh, allowing people to you know to work from home, where the other partners were a bit more traditional and saying no, you know, we need everybody in the office because of X, Y, and Z. But it it would be really easy to track output because we monitor that you know we get them to record time. Um, time is the, the output. Um, you know, it's all charged, log, logged, and recorded, so I can see if somebody's done what work they've done just to do it remotely i think there's a lot of businesses that work like that the fear is born out of their lack of confidence in their own management ability mm. yeah therefore if i can see them at the desk then it's all okay but there's been so many poor managers around it's almost the results don't matter almost you know the, the checking it or they're doing good hours or put some overtime in well done you know fred's yeah. here on a good old fred Forget that. It's his results, but but because generally um, there's been a poor approach in how you you know set those targets and results and monitor those targets and results and and manage for best performance. Um, there's a reluctance to say, well, yes, you can do it at a distance because they're not confident in the tools to do it. Hmm. Um, and another HR issue um, that's come up this week, uh, yesterday, um, made the headlines. Uh, Pimley Clo Plumbers uh, has come up with a, quote, no jab, no job policy. It, it says that it's going to introduce a mandatory um, vaccination um, policy that all of its workers or anyone that wants a job um, with it, employees or uh, self-employed self contractors, workers, whichever one it is, um, have to have a vaccine before they can get uh, get work, and it made the made the headlines um, yesterday. So um, I come to uh, you, MJ, to start with. What's your uh, views? Do you think um, that kind of the the idea behind it of uh, having your employees vaccinated so that you can't, as a company, be blamed for either them being ill or them infecting somebody? Do you think that that will be a pattern that the businesses will follow? Or do you think they'll just let it to you know the government and let the government vaccine roll out? Tricky one. I mean, I'm coming from a point of well, why wouldn't you have the vaccine anyway? So for me, I'm you know, it's, it's cards kind of on the table. Way. So why why wouldn't you? Um, um, whether you, whether you could get legislate that and 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 make that a point of, of discriminating against people. You know, you can get a job if you have, but you can't get a job if you haven't. Um, I'm pretty sure there were some good, good arguments for both sides. Um, 
at the moment, I think in the main, I don't think I don't think it'll be something that everybody adopts. Um, you know, there's one or two that does it. Seems 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 to me to be perhaps a, a yeah. Seems seems to me to be. Um, I, I think I think this is all a little bit of PR for him, him and the guy. I've got a feeling, just a really sneaky suspicion of what I've seen over the past that the guy wants to become a politician like Donald Trump. But anyway, that's a different subject. I think it's a bit more PR than anything else. And I think most organisations will be like, um, I know Unilever have said it, which is you know strongly recommending that everyone uh, of their employees takes the vaccine, um, but they're not going to you know sack somebody for not doing it. Mark um, Exley, uh, there's obviously some. Uh, some potential employment law issues here. I've seen, um, you know, some people say, yeah, it's possible because same as construction sites, you know, you're required to wear PPE on there um, and uh, and that's fine. And then other people saying, you know, well, no, um, you can't force, the government can't force people to have vaccines, never mind employers. And also it would be a potential breach of uh, human rights and potentially discrimination. But what, what do you think? Do you think it'd be, it, it may become a common thing that where businesses are, a threatening staff to take the vaccine? Um, I, th I think Pimlico plumbers, as I think you tr you alluded to, are, are not are not very are not very good at shunning publicity. So I think I think we have to take it with a pinch of salt. I think they're maybe just putting the head above the parapet to to cause a bit of controversy and give themselves some PR. I, I personally think it would be an infringement of people's liberties. Um, I really do. I think it would be um, quite a difficult one to, to enforce without getting some legislation against you, um, some litigation against you. Um, I think partly because the large groups are not really particularly susceptible to this. And as we reach some degree of herd immunity through vaccination of the vulnerable people and other groups and other um, clinical groups, I think you're then going to find that there's less of an issue on this. But at the moment, it's a good piece of PR for them. Yeah, that's, that's I think is the conclusion I reached. I, um, I've written a, a blog about it today, um, uh, which uh, on my website and on social media, if anyone wants to check it out, I've, I've talked about the pros and cons and the legal side of things, go into a little bit of the, the, the legislation approach on it and make a decision. Um, that uh, I don't think employers can force uh, an employee to take uh, the vaccine. But of course, that might change. As MJ said, they might legislate for it. At the minute, the legislation on vaccines um, stems from 1984, um, and it specifically says the government can't force people to have medical treatment. Um, but of course, the, the government can can re-legislate and change their mind on, uh, on whatever they want. So see how that one pans out, I, I guess. Um Guys, was there was there anything else, um, business or not related, um, non-business stories that caught your eye this week that you thought was interesting, funny, hilarious, or uh, worth worth discussing um, briefly? Uh, I don't know. I mean, just personally, I like to see how um, how the battle for the world's wealthiest man is going on between Jeff Bezos and and uh, Elon Musk. It's like any, you know, it's based on the effectiveness of a tweet, really, for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, the bouncing around, but yeah. just interesting to see how it's it's uh, something that the the the, the, the media finds fascinating, though, doesn't it? It finds 
you just find really it it's it's always in the news that uh, you know someone's the richest person but bezos musk or whoever is the richest person and musk in particular they do it because the tesla share price demonstrates a market capitalization of that company but there's just no chance that somebody's going to come in and pay and buy all of the shares that have been issued in tesla and give him a check for 185 billion pounds like so so it's just paper money and he says as much the same you know he's he, all his money has been invested into uh into his businesses i think recently he's had to sell property to kind of reinvest it in some of the projects that he's working from so he's not sitting there with 130 you know 180 billion pounds worth and here's my favorite stat um on on tesla and it's uh, and it's share price bubble at the moment um, whatever the price is today, it probably has gone up again. Um, but the market capitalization of Tesla um, is the equivalent of them earning $1.8 million per car that they've sold. And their average yeah. car price is like £40,000. Um, and, and it was the equivalent of one point something million per car. Yeah, so it's, okay. it's just a crazy value. At the current rate of sale, they have to operate for 1,600 years. <laughs> to get the market capitalization back in. So yeah, you're right. It's it's a, it's a numbers game, um, but interesting to see how how it works because you know it. it uh, I, I think as an individual, as a disruptive entrepreneur, he is, he is pushing it. You know, love him or love him or loathe him, um, he's is is changing the way that we're going to be doing things in the future, one way yeah. or another. Definitely. Is. I think what he has done is he's he's he's, he's very successfully sur surfing the political wave of um, on the green issues. So he's been able to piggyback onto that quite brilliantly, um, because whichever way you look at it, there's a long way to go until we can actually get anywhere near the targets of 2030 and remove all sales of petrol and diesel vehicles. Hmm. So um, he's done very well at that. His, the key to, I think, his success going forward with that particular product is that he manages to keep ahead of some of the opposition because some of the people he's up against are very, very, very powerful and resourceful. By that, I mean other manufacturers. Mm. And I think some of those manufacturers are already starting to overtake Tesla in terms of what they've managed to achieve. Um, and if that carries on and with the resources they've got behind them and the, the market, the way it's going, he is going to find his market share being attacked pretty solidly. That's the that's the um, the genius behind Tesla is that um, actually manufacturing making cars isn't what it wants to do. It wants to supply batteries, um, and all its gigafactories are, are, are there developing batteries. And and what what it wants is all of those manufacturers that are behind the game. They're brilliant at making cars, um, but just need the battery technology and the software technology. Well, we'll just buy them from Tesla, um, and Tesla then just become a, a parts manufacturer um, for uh, for the you know the bigger um, car organisations that they're much better at selling cars. Um, so that's, that's the kind of the long-term game plan. Very interesting stuff, I think. And I like the guy. I think, I think he's, uh, you know, he's, he's clearly, you know, he's clearly a weirdo, isn't he? He's clearly like um, one of those kind of slightly odd kids, but um, I, think, I think he's really good. He's, he's obviously, you know, a devoted, hardworking, you know, guy comes up with all the ideas and, um, and, and actually pushes things through to... Uh, completion. Next so, one is um, was it the boring company where he's he's tunneling around um, around LA? I think that yeah. again that'll be the next one. He just wants to prove the point that 
you know, now, now we're all electric, we can go underground, we can work it like this, and it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. Right, I'm going to call it there, guys. Um, so thanks very much for coming on this week's uh, podcast. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Um, and for those listening at home, thank you very much for, for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, do engage with us on social media at The Business Herald. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Let us know your thoughts on the things that we've discussed this week. And, um, and the podcast is out every Friday around about 3 o'clock in an afternoon. So do subscribe and um, on, on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast from. Once again, thanks very much for listening and goodbye.